0: Greetings and welcome. My name is James White, and we are in the midst of a study of what the Quran says concerning the Christian faith, specifically within the context of asking the the question, what is the inevitable, necessary relationship between Islam, which comes 600 years after the time of Christ, and the Christian faith, in light of the fact that the Islamic documents which define Islam, we're not defining Islam, we're allowing the Islamic documents to do so, the Quran, the Hadith, in light of the fact that those are the documents that address the Christian faith and address aspects of the Christian faith and in fact deny aspects of the Christian faith, what then is the result of that? And the question, of course, that I'm also asking is, does the Quran do so accurately? Because this reflects upon the claim that Muhammad is a prophet. Muslims believe that Muhammad is a prophet. The Shahada, the confession of faith, says that Allah is one Allah, that there is one God, only one God Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. That is the heart of Islam. To be a Christian is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If Muhammad denies that Jesus is the Son of God, we have an inevitable contradiction, a confrontation, and we must honestly address these differences out of love for God and love for our neighbor. That is the requirement, I believe, that is certainly incumbent upon Christians. But I think a good argument can be made that even the Quran lays that necessity upon Muslims themselves. Now, we've been looking at some texts from the Quran, and we had, in fact, in our last program, begun looking at Surah 5, 15 through 19. And after it speaks of Allah, Allah, revealing the Quran with clarity, it then says these words, In blasphemy indeed are those that say that Allah is Christ, the son of Mary. Say, who then hath the least power against Allah, if his will were to destroy Christ, the son of Mary, his mother, and all everyone that is on the earth? For to Allah belongeth the dominion of the heavens and the earth and all that is between. He createth what he pleaseth, for Allah hath power over all Now, I want to make sure that we understand why this is considered to be an argument from the Quranic perspective. Why would it be an argument to say that Allah has power to destroy Christ, the son of Mary, and his mother? I believe that it's very important to recognize what this argument is. You see, from the Islamic perspective... God himself cannot be destroyed. And so you join this with the absolute assumption on the part of Islam that the incarnation could never happen. Allah could never enter into his own creation. As long as any person is a human being, they must be a created human being who could be destroyed. Therefore... Since Christ was a created human being and could be destroyed, he could not possibly be a law. That is the argument that is being presented here by the Quran. But you probably noticed something. Whether you're a Christian or a Muslim watching this, is it doesn't just say destroy Christ, but it also says destroy his mother. Why would that be an argument? Is it possible that the Quran misunderstands the doctrine of the Trinity so much so as to think that the Trinity is Allah, Jesus, and Mary? Is that possible? This seems to be suggesting it. I don't want to answer that question quite yet because this is not the only text that addresses this specific issue. Let's continue on in Surah 5, verses, Ayahs 72 through seventy-eight, This is a fairly lengthy section. We'll stop a few times to examine some of the specific claims. They do blaspheme. Notice the repetitive element of blasphemy. They do blaspheme who say, Allah is Christ, the son of Mary. But said Christ, O children of Israel, worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. Whoever joins other gods with Allah, Allah will forbid him the garden and the fire will be his abode. There will for the wrongdoers be no one to help. They do blaspheme who say Allah is one of three in a trinity, for there is no God except one, Allah. Well, this certainly is one of the key texts on this particular subject. And it identifies as blasphemy, clearly, the Christian doctrine of the trinity. But does it again do so in an accurate way? Does it show a proper understanding of what Christians actually believe? I don't believe that it does. First of all, it quotes Jesus. It quotes Jesus as saying, O children of Israel, worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. And in fact, if you go through all of the texts in the Quran that quote Jesus, only one time will you find Jesus speaking in a historical context. All the rest of the times, Jesus is just a a disembodied voice. We don't know where he is. We don't know what he's doing. And in the vast majority of instances, the Jesus of the Quran is an argument for the prophethood of Muhammad. He's not a person. He's an argument. And it would be very difficult for anyone to read just what the Quran says about Jesus and find anything to be overly compelling about him, certainly to love Jesus based upon the few words you have from him in the Quran, would be very difficult to do. There are only 25 ayah that use his name. And when you join together all the other ayah that discuss elements about him, there's still less than a hundred ayah that have anything that could be in any way connected with Jesus. He doesn't seem to be a person. Instead, he just seems to be, well, the prototypical Muslim. And he says, Worship Allah, my Lord, and your Lord. And then, of course. The idea of joining other gods with a law is presented here, but that's not what the Trinity does. We don't believe in other gods. And so that description is an inappropriate description. So when it says blasphemy, is it adequately answering the Christian doctrine? Notice it says they do blaspheme who say a law is one of three in a Trinity, but we don't say a law is one of three in a Trinity. Many Muslims are confused. They think that from our perspective, Allah is the father and then Jesus is the son and the Holy Spirit is the third as if we have three different gods. That is not the case. In the Christian Bible, the one name Yahweh that is used to the one true God of the Old Testament is used to the father. It is also used to the son. For example, in Psalm 102, 25 through 27, Yahweh is described as the one who never changes. Those same words are used of Jesus In Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. And of course, the spirit is the spirit of Yahweh. And so that one name is used of the three persons in the Bible. We do not say that there are three gods. We are not associating three Allahs. And so this would not be an accurate description of the doctrine of the Trinity. It would not be a denunciation of Christian belief. But since it clearly is intended to be, we have to question the validity of this source because it is simply untrue. But then this text continues on. If they desist not from their word of blasphemy, which seems to be just nothing more than the Christian confession of the Trinity, which is the most basic confession of the Trinity. To give you an example, if you're a Muslim watching this, this would be the same thing as referring to the Shahada. For the Christian, the confession of the Trinity is just as fundamental, it's just as basic. If they desist not from their word of blasphemy, verily, a grievous penalty will befall the blasphemers among them. Why turn they not to Allah and seek his forgiveness? For Allah is oft forgiving and most merciful. Christ, the son of Mary, was no more than a Razul, an apostle. Many were the apostles that passed away before him. And here's an argument. Here's another apologetic argument. His mother was a woman of truth. They had both to eat their daily food. See how Allah doth make his signs clear to them, yet see in what ways they are deluded away from the truth. Do you see what the argument is? If you listened carefully before, you can probably identify what the apologetic argument is here. When it refers to Jesus as just a Razul and his mother as a woman of truth, then it says they, Jesus and his mother, had both to eat their daily food. How is that an argument? Well, very simply, God doesn't eat. Remember, From the Islamic perspective, by definition, Allah cannot enter into his own creation. There can be no incarnation. And so if Jesus eats food, this is an argument against his deity, by definition. Now, since we don't share that definition, it really isn't much of an argument against the Trinity. But from this perspective, that is what is being said. In each case so far, we've seen that the Christian Confession of the Trinity is identified as blasphemy, and yet in each instance there are inaccuracies in the understanding of the Quran about what it is that Christians are themselves confessing. So when it says, see how Allah doth make his signs clear to them, yet see in what ways they are deluded away from the truth, the signs are being made clear as clearly Jesus ate food, clearly Mary ate food, they therefore are not truly deity. But wouldn't that be another instance where it seems that what is being said is the Trinity is Allah, Jesus, and Mary when that has never been the Christian doctrine of the Trinity at all? That seems to be the case, but the the clarity of these signs that Allah has given is that, see, they were human beings. Well, that's exactly what Christians believe. We believe that they were human beings. There's no question about that. There seems to be misunderstanding on the part of the Quran, at this point. Then it continues on. Say, Will ye worship besides Allah something which hath no power either to harm or benefit you? But Allah He it is that heareth and knoweth all things. Say, O people of the book, exceed not in your religion the bounds of what is proper trespassing beyond the truth nor follow the vain desires of people who went wrong in times gone by who misled many and strayed themselves from the even way here the Quran is very clearly telling us that to believe in the doctrine of the Trinity is to believe an excess something that goes beyond the truth and that the people of the book have done this have they done so or does not the book that existed in the days of Muhammad teach the very things that the Quran is saying or is untrue at this point. And here's the question for my Muslim friends. Would Muhammad have known? Would Muhammad have known I don't believe that he would have. If he could not have read the scriptures, even in his own language, he could not have read the the beautiful Carmen Christian, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, the hymn to Christ as to God. He couldn't have read Colossians' description as Jesus as the creator of all things. He could not have seen the Jesus of the book of Revelation, who is the creator, the God, the, the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He could not have seen these things. And so is it an excess When the Bible, as it was originally written, as the followers of Jesus put it, describes Jesus in these ways, is that that, that excess? Is that committing blasphemy? Trespassing beyond the truth? No, I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that it is. But we continue with the Surah 5 quotation. Curses were pronounced on those among the children of Israel who rejected faith by the tongue of David and of Jesus the son of Mary because they persisted they disobeyed and persisted in excesses. So here's a warning they're saying even Jesus brought these kinds of curses they were pronounced upon the children of Israel. And they are saying this is a rejection of faith, but notice what Surah 5 continues on to say. Surah 5, ayas 116 through 117 and here I honestly believe we come to the place where we can answer the question Does the Quran truly understand the doctrine of the Trinity, or is it possible that the Quran misunderstands the Trinity? Listen to Surah 5, Ayahs 116 and 117. And behold, Allah will say, O Jesus, the Son of Mary, didst thou say unto men, Worship me and my mother as gods in derogation of Allah? He will say, Glory to thee. Never could I say what I had no right to say. Had I said such a thing, thou wouldst indeed have known it. Thou knowest what is in my heart, though I know not what is in thine, for thou knowest in full all that is hidden. Now, these words seem to be very clear, they seem to be very plain. O Jesus, the son of Mary, didst thou say unto men, worship me and my mother as gods in derogation of Allah. To my Muslim friends, no Christian would ever, ever confess to worshiping Jesus and Mary as gods in derogation of Allah. We worship one God who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We recognize the distinctions between the persons, but my worship of the Son is not in derogation of the Father. My worship of the Father is not in derogation of the Son, and never would I ever worship Mary. Are there some who in excesses get close to doing so? Seems that there are. But I don't think that's what this surah is referring to. Instead, this surah seems to reveal that the understanding of the Quran is that the Trinity is the Father, Allah, Jesus, the Son, and Mary. And that is not true. And whatever you think of Allah, Allah in 632 knew that. He knew what the Council of Nicaea said. He knew what the Council of Chalcedon said. He knew what the Athanasian Creed was. He knew what Orthodox Christianity believed in those days. And this is not what Christianity said. And notice, people of the book, people of the book, this is addressing Christians. Christians don't believe this. And so, what does this tell us about the inspiration of the Quran? What does this tell us about the understanding? Of Muhammad now I want to say something else as well and and I hope my Christian friends when you heard the end of the last citation thought of this text as well notice it says again allegedly Jesus says thou knowest what is in my heart though I know not what is in thine for thou knowest in full all that is hidden yes God does know all that is hidden but I remember when I first read the Quran and I read these words, the first thought across my mind were the very words of Jesus himself. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 said, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and anyone to whom the son wills to reveal him. And I can honestly say with sadness in my heart, I wish Muhammad had read those words. I wish there had been someone who would have explained what Jesus said about himself to Muhammad so long ago. Those words are so precious. How could any created being have ever said, all things have been handed over to me by my father? And how could any created being, says, no one knows the Son except the Father. What an amazing claim to make. But then he says, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. The Son is so great and so powerful as the Bible describes Him as the exact representation of His image, the exact representation of His character. The Son is sufficient to reveal the Father to us and the only way anyone will ever truly know the Father is if the Son wills to reveal Him. That is how close the Father and the Son are. The Quran denies this, the Gospels affirm this, and did so six centuries before Muhammad gave his words. And Muhammad did not know what was found in Matthew 11:27. But we need to continue with the rest of the citation from Surah 5, because allegedly Jesus goes on to say, "Never said I to them aught except what Thou didst command me to say." to wit, worship Allah, my Lord, and your Lord. And I was a witness over them, whilst I dwelt amongst them. When thou didst take me up, thou wast the watcher over them, and thou art a witness to all things. And so, so Jesus continues on saying, I never said anything like that to them. Well, we can certainly affirm that because Christians don't believe in worshiping Allah and then worshiping Jesus as a God in derogation of Allah, and then worshiping Mary as a third God in derogation, I would say, of both Allah and Jesus. That is a misunderstanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, have we in any way misrepresented the Quran by reading these texts today? There, as you know, are other texts that we could look at. We've looked at Ali Klaas, We've looked at Surah 112. We've looked at Surahs 4 and 5. We've quoted them from Islamic translations. I've looked at many of these texts in the Arabic language as well. And I have sought to be fair in my analysis of what is being said. I'm trying to hear the Quran in its original tongue, in its original languages, in its original context. We're trying to be fair. I want to understand what Muhammad understood. I do not want to simply engage in rhetoric. I do not want to, to create unnecessary hard feelings. But you see, I also have to point out that all of this material from the Quran comes about long after the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. We are going to later examine Surah 4, 157. and At that time, I'm going to make the same argument I make now, but I want to speak especially to my Islamic friends right now, to my Muslim friends. Put yourself in my position for a moment, would you please? What if someone came along and called himself a prophet? Say around the year 1250. 1250 A.D., or let's say someone came along in the Islamic calendar around 600 or 650 in the Islamic calendar, long after Muhammad. And this person who calls himself a prophet, he lives far away from Mecca and Medina. He, in fact, doesn't even read Arabic and, in fact, has never read the Quran He doesn't even have access to the Quran. And yet he calls himself a prophet and he writes a book. And he says the book is a revelation from God. Now, as you know, as my Muslim friends, there have been others who've come after Muhammad and claimed to be prophets after Muhammad. I'm not even addressing that right now. I just want you to try to to see the, the situation from my perspective. A man comes along, calls himself a prophet, writes a book, says that the Quran is true, as it was revealed anyway, and says Muhammad was a prophet. But he says in his book, the hijra never took place. And he says in his book that in reality, many of the fundamental things that Muhammad taught about taweed about the necessity of the Hajj were not actually revealed by Allah. He can't read the Quran. He has no connection with Mecca or Medina. Do you test his claims or you just automatically accept them as true? (laughs) Well, of course, I know what you're going to say. You're going to test his claims. You're not going to just automatically accept what someone says who comes along 600 years after Muhammad and decides without any knowledge of what Muhammad actually wrote, without any access to the Hadith, without any knowledge of these things, just overthrow the central aspects of the Islamic faith, are you? No, you're going to be wise. And while you may read what he has to say, you're going to critically analyze what he has to say. And if he can't provide you with any real reason as to why to believe these things, are you going to believe him? I don't think you're going to believe him. Do you see what I'm I'm asking you to see here? Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, now you see the position I'm in. For Muhammad comes along 600 years after Jesus. And he asks me to reject everything that the apostles of Jesus and Jesus himself taught in Scripture. Muhammad comes along and he asks me, without any connection, any knowledge of my Scriptures directly, even in translation, he does not have access to these things. And he gives me no reason to believe that he had accurate knowledge of any of my foundational documents, yet he comes along and says, you must believe what I have to say, and I will even claim to stand in the line of prophets and apostles. And I am accurately representing your Jesus. The Jesus he gives me doesn't sound like my Jesus. The Jesus he gives me sounds nothing like my Jesus, does not teach the things that the Jesus that Christians had always believed in said and taught. Now, if your answer to my hypothetical situation was I'm going to critically examine this man who claims to be a prophet, I'm going to critically examine what he has to say, I'm not just going to believe him. If that's how you answered that, then you must give me the freedom to do the exact same thing in analyzing Muhammad and when I do from the Quran itself, I find that he did not have accurate knowledge of the central doctrines of the Christian faith. What he condemned was not what I believe. I ask you to think about these things and see if we have not been fair in our analysis. Thank you.